We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am the host. Uh, apologies for the late start. Had a little uh, issue with some Xfinity Wi-Fi, uh, but here we are better late than never. And so this is our first time recording with five members of the Guilty as Charged podcast. So we have to start with the newest member of the podcast, Kyle. Kyle, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you doing? Doing great, Steven. Had a late night hockey game last night, so I'm still waking up, sipping my coffee, but hanging in there. There we go. I, you know, I've got to say this is the first time that uh, you and I are recording together. And I've got to say, man, I respect the commitment to the bolo tie. I think it <laughs> looks great on your, your setup there. So uh, happy to have you here, man. Until I can uh, grow hair as long and luscious as Herbert, I got to rock with the quarterback that, you know, I started with. So keep this going for now. <laughs> there we go. I respect it. Arjun is here as well, man. Arjun, how you doing? Uh, doing good. Um, I I kind of like was out doing something during like the schedule release, so it was cool to you know, go back and watch the podcast during then. And I thought you guys did a good job of breaking everything down. Um, I wanted to see Alex on there because I know Sixers lost that night, but the, <laughs> that one picture Tyler put of Alex, I thought that was like that was top tier. So <laughs> yeah, Props you know it, it's. It's all good. You know, unfortunately, the Sixers did lose. And um, I've got to be completely honest. I don't fully understand the SpongeBob reference. Uh, you know, SpongeBob's not my forte, but uh, Tyler did a great job there. 
and with everything. Oh, you already got the slideshow coming oh, up. I'm already. sorry. What's that? You wanted me to bring it up again? I'm sorry. Was that what I was hearing? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so SpongeBob is trying to convince everyone that there is a Christmas, and they don't know who Santa Claus is. So basically, Santa Claus does not arrive on Christmas Eve, and then uh, Squidward takes a picture of him like this and with all the jellyfish being the christmas lights so um santa does not arrive at this picture and that's that's the reference i guess um there just happened to be four little jars for four little l's and i had to put that because uh, you know i'm a chargers fan so there we go there's the reference there we go well done <laughs> tyler and uh alex catching strays when he's not on here but alex how you doing today man um i'm doing good i don't know why we are talking about basketball on a Chargers <laughs> podcast uh you guys are going off course with the subject matter now without any further ado we will do top five breakfast burritos today at some point in the last 30 minutes all right all right we're looking forward to it i uh really quickly going back to the schedule i, I apparently that uh the chinese that's on the cleveland slideshow translates to something like cleveland is boring or something like that which uh, i learned after we recorded so uh, I hope that's true because if it is, that's amazing. Um, I think it's Japanese, Japanese, or I'm sorry, yeah, Japanese, not Chinese. Well, it's different things. Sorry, I never watched any anime in my life, so roasted by ass, and he's trying to get us canceled on the first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm your buffer for that. You can make whatever. Tyler's head of his mind. Yeah, but uh, obviously the Chargers did fantastic there, so. Um, I think it's up to like 5 million views right now on Twitter, which is, is great to see. Um, you know, they deserve it. Obviously, they won a Webby. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, oh, it is Kyle's birthday tomorrow. I didn't know that. Happy yeah. early birthday, Kyle. Happy birthday, Kyle. Thanks, guys. Uh, wife and I are going to stay the night at Disneyland. So we're going nice. to hang out at the hotel tomorrow and then attack it hard Monday. Going to hopefully get on Rise of the Resistance for the first time. So... That's mm, the no. that's the ride, right? Yeah, the new one. Yeah, so very mm -hmm. excited. Uh, I'm actually wearing a Star Wars shirt today, so that's funny. Um, nice. Rise of the Resistance, Rise of the Resistance is incredible, man. It truly is uh, a true spectacle, and they did a fantastic job. So, like. um, yeah, wish you a, a good early birthday. So, uh, as nice, always, nice. we are here for a Q and A. Uh, we see a couple. I see a couple of good questions in the chat. If you want to make sure that we get to your question, please use. Feel free to use the super chat feature. And uh, we will kind of just bounce around and, and see what we got. So um, first question that I saw here today, where'd it go? There it is. All right. Musari wants to know, is Salyer starting guard next to Filer at right tackle? So obviously the Chargers began rookie minicamp yesterday. Uh, Jamari Salyer had some uh, great quotes, man. I think he's got an electric personality. Uh, pictured starting in minicamp, of course, and, you know, there's not even like Slater's not there. Corey Lindsley's not there. Uh, he was working at left guard yesterday and Zion Johnson working at right guard. So again, it's extremely early in the process, but it does seem like they are pretty committed to starting Jamari Salyer on his journey at guard. Tyler, what's up, man? Don't worry about it. Did we? Did I lose you, or did we? Did you lose us? You know, I just don't. You know, don't even worry about it. It's a long story. It's all good. All right, sounds good. So, um, Kyle, we'll start to see. We'll start with you here. What do you make of the oh, cool. offensive line shifting? Do you expect Jamari Sawyer to start this season? And if so, where would you expect him to start? 
Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this one a lot, and I have a quick question for you guys because I don't know if I imagine this or not. But did did have haven't multiple players in the coach Staley come out and said that a part of what they reason a part of the reason why they thought the ball wasn't getting downfield enough was because of an offensive line struggle and not necessarily the receivers? Did I imagine that? Arjun, no, yeah, no. Uh, I believe Staley said that at his combine press conference. I know. Um, people at PFF referenced it on their like NFL draft show. So that's where I heard it. And, you know, obviously I do trust their opinion and I'm not going to say they were lying about what Staley said. So I think it is a yeah. factual statement. So if that's true. And I thought I heard that a player had said that post draft. Like I just kind of believe that they think that the solution's already on the roster uh, for right tackle, because that's a very bold thing to say like hey our our there, there was no real problem with the offensive line last season except the right tackle spot and now we're kind of throwing it under the bus a little bit while we're still going to trot out the same guy to start and i have a hard yeah. time believing like did trey pipkins beat out storm norton for that starting spot between you know the end of the season and now because it seems like an assumption that he's going to take over but he hasn't won a camp battle since he came onto our team so i don't know how that assumptions already are being made so i think there's a good chance that filer does end up starting and like you guys said yeah like the the double rookie guard situation is very possible but that's just my guess at this point yeah you know I, i've talked a little bit about this and i i feel confident that's not going to be storm norton i feel like if they viewed him as a starting player they would have signed him to a multi-year deal and of course they could certainly still do that um, but everything that we know about Brandon Staley in this regime is that they really value low pressure numbers and high pass blocking efficiency ratings. And that is not Storm Norton, as we clearly saw last mm -hmm. season. So I feel like it is going to be Matt Filer. I think Trey Pipkins is, has kind of an outside shot to be that guy. Um, and I just think that that just makes the most sense. And then they went and drafted two guards as opposed to drafting a potential challenger for right tackle outright. So um, you know, I think we'll see Zion start at right guard, and then we'll see a competition at left guard between Salyer and Hymas, and then you roll with Matt Filer at right tackle. But like I said, I do think Trey Pipkins does have kind of an outside shot, outside shot to be that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Steven, why do you I, – I know that a lot of people are believing that Zion's going to start on the right, but he came – he started – he was on the left last year, right? Yeah. What, why are we thinking he's going to be a better fit on the right-hand side? I don't think that. I think it would make most sense to just kind of slot him right into the position that he played. He said yesterday that he really has only played on the right side uh, at Davidson, where he played right guard at Davidson, um, where Tyler shared that video of him spinning out on an option read, which is just freaking insane to watch that kind of athleticism. But at Boston College, he played left guard and left tackle. At the Senior Bowl, it was mostly left guard and center. So Tom Telesco did say, as Frank points out, that they think that he would slide in at right guard. Again, that was before they drafted Jamari Sawyer, and they had the intention of, you know, supposedly having the intention of keeping Matt Filer at left guard. So to me, if you're kicking Matt Filer out, Zion should just go back to playing his natural position at left guard. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to gauge, you know, before Sawyer gets picked, okay, Filer is a guest staying at left guard. Then you get Sailor, and it's like, okay, well, that's a really good guard, so he could be a guard. But then why would that have changed their plans? And they said after they drafted Zion that they make him a right guard, which means Filer's left guard. 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the Chiefs. Do any of you guys remember what the Chiefs' intentions were last year before they landed Trey Smith way late in the draft? Like, what was their plan on the interior at tackle or whatever? I guess there was no tackle plans involved with all that, but I mean, at least they made some changes on the fly. Hopefully, there's that something like that for the Chargers too. But I don't even know. Yeah, so the Chiefs they had they signed a Joe Tooney to a big contract, right? And then it seemed like they obviously had the clear plan to take a center early. Unfortunately, landed Creed Humphrey, which I I will always be mad about. Um, and then they had you know a couple of mid-tier veterans that were going to battle for right guard. Like I think they signed uh, Kyle Long and and some other pieces. Mm-hmm. And then Trey Smith just happened to be freaking amazing. Which like weird, who could have seen that coming? Um, so that was kind of their plan, but. I don't know. We'll have to see where the Chargers shake out. So we'll get to our, our first super chat, courtesy of Frank Bla- Frank Blakely. Excuse me. Uh, he said pre-draft the consensus was Edge had the lowest depth on the roster. Besides clear, clearly right tackle. What do you all believe is now our least deep position group? Alex, we'll start with you here. What do you think? What position group kind of concerns you the most in terms of the depth outside of right tackle? Um. If we're going outside of right tackle, I think you probably have to look at defense and go to this safety group, like at this point, because I mean, if Derwin James goes down, I mean, I, I like JT Woods uh, and Sierra Adderley, but like they're kind of boned there. Um, for lack of a better term, I think if you look at the defensive line, uh, Edge is, you know, they have boosted that with Kyle Van Noy. Um, but there is still a scenario where if either Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa goes down, you do still have to play like Chris Rump, pretty significant snaps. Uh, so I would say it's probably the first and then uh, the first level of the defense, and then also probably looking at the safety room. Uh, corner, they're pretty deep now at this point, uh, and they drafted a uh, running back, which was kind of the problem before. So I don't think that they have many depth issues on offense at this point. Uh, so I think you're probably looking at, you know, some of the key defensive groups. Arjun, what do you think here? I think I would, uh, I don't know. I, I think I would go, um, honestly, I, I think they did a, a pretty good job after the draft filling out corner and edge, which would have been my picks. So I, honestly, like, I think, I think they could use one more receiver, and it doesn't even have to be a speed guy. I think you have Guyton and DeAndre Carter for that role. I think they like. I don't know if Keenan Allen or Mike Williams get gets hurt. Like, yeah, jo- I think Josh Palmer. I don't. I don't even know if he's still in that like wide receiver three A or three B. But you know, you you'd have Palmer and Guyton playing significant snaps, and I think that's not the greatest thing in the world. So I think you, they could add another receiver, but I'm not sure. Like, you know, kind of like Jarvis Landry is like one of the last like good free agent receiver is still there so that would kind of be like my direction didn't landry yeah, just w- sign with the saints yeah, yeah like he was he was one of the he was last oh okay good ones gotcha. Left. gotcha yeah um, I mean, so, so, yeah I mean, some people are saying wide receiver in the group and i guess that sort of makes sense but i guess you know, your, your two main starters drop off then yeah there i guess there is concern there uh linebacker feels like the easy one, I guess even running back can t- sort of be that because we have no idea who the RB3 is, but that's not the worst thing. Um, I mean, edge, not really. I, I think I'm going to look at the uh, depth chart that we wrote out for the Chargers. I, I do still think outside corner is a bit of a concern. Let me check the depth chart real quick. 
because I mean, obviously we have the two guys that we really like on the outside. Davis can start on the outside, but after that, you know, is it Devon Campbell who might lose his spot to Dean Leonard? And Dean Leonard's a guy who's played like one full season of college <laughs> ball and got kind of toasted. Like outside corner is a bit of a problem right now because we're still the same number of injuries away from Devon Campbell starting at outside corner. And Tavon Campbell as a depth guy is not that bad, but it's kind of it's it's concerning that you have Tavon Campbell, who might even lose his job to Dean Leonard, and Dean Leonard, who I think was ranked 522nd on the consensus board, and isn't that great? So it's a little concerning there. Yeah, the back end of the cornerback roster, I think, is is a bit of a concern. I mean, obviously, linebacker to me is kind of the the big concern right now, just because. I think we have Drew Tranquil, who's a really high quality starter who can't stay healthy. And then a bunch of question marks for me. Like, I, I think Troy Reader is fine as like your fourth linebacker. Brandon Staley kind of talked about him on the Rich Eisen show as if he were going to start, which kind of made me really concerned. Um, obviously, Kenneth Murray oh. can't stay healthy. You know, we heard before all of the offseason stuff that they liked Eamon Ogbong and then they signed Troy Reader. So, I, I, We'll see what linebacker sells a lot of question marks for me. So that's kind of where I would go. Um, if someone said tight end, I would understand that, you know, because Donald Parham is still kind of a question mark. We heard that he's fully cleared medically by we, I mean, everybody like that was, you know, kind of common knowledge. Um, Trey McKitty had like two or three catches last year. So I, I would understand somebody saying tight end, but I think for me, it would be linebacker. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no, I think you would have to kind of go linebacker as well, specifically because they also didn't add anything i mean really during the draft they didn't use a draft pick they just got the one uh undrafted free agent for markers and that's their you know sixth linebacker right now um yeah. and so at this point you know if, if staley's seriously talking about troy reader playing significant snaps uh we, we have problems uh in that room as a whole and then i mean the big question is kenneth murray if kenneth murray actually bounces back and has that kind of season that you know we sort of were expecting when he was drafted, then the linebacker room looks a lot more deep. If he plays, you know, and is injured a lot more often, like 2021 Kenneth Murray, then that group is headed for a disaster, no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to a good question here from Jacob, kind of, uh, you know, adding on to this. He wants to know if we think Jalen Guyton could have a breakout season and get a third contract with the team. So we've, uh, 
ever since Kyle has come on the show, we've talked a lot about comp <laughs> picks. And so I feel like this is, this is kind of the perfect spot for him to jump in here. I guess we would have to quantify what would a breakout season look like for Jalen Guyton and then kind of gauge his value on the open market. But Kyle, what do you what do you make of uh, Jalen Guyton's prospects this year? Yeah, so we have a, another video that's going to be coming out soon where we go over kind of my projections for next year and what how the offseason and free this last round of free agency is going to affect our comp formula for the next cancellation cancellation chart and trying to guess what these guys like Guyton who are in a contract year might be earning in free agency. And I think you can look at the comps for Guyton and see the potential of him having a little bit of a breakout season and getting in that range of like, you know, with him being a fast receiver who, yes, like he has a more limited route tree, but with the speed that he has, if he breaks out and has like a seven or 800 yard season, which is only like 200 more than what he is, what he's kind of averaging right now and six or seven touchdowns, he might be in the $10 million range with how crazy the market is. And if that's the case, then, you know, here's your walking papers. You've been a great charger for us. <laughs> you know, thank you for getting us a fifth round pick next year. So yeah. that's kind of my thought. I think, I don't think there's a, I would be very shocked if we re-signed him because I really think he's going to at least get five or six just, just based on his speed and getting exposure on an explosive, explosive offense. But I think there's a chance that he breaks out for a decent contract kind of like a Tyrell Williams, who I think at the time signed for 10 million a year, but he was a little bit more of a complete player, but yeah. times have changed and wide receivers markets have gone through the roof. So I think 10 million might be where he lands. It really has, you know, the wide receiver market obviously taking off this year. So I know Jalen Guyton catches a lot of flack on Twitter. I, I happen to think he did uh, show a lot of improvement last year as a route runner, you know, relative to, you know, him being an undrafted free agent, a guy that they basically have for free on the roster. But, you know, if they really do think, you know, that the offensive line was the problem in terms of accessing the deep part of the field, then Jalen Guyton certainly could have, you know, three or four more deep passes this year. And, you know, if he gets three or four, three or four more deep passes this year, like Kyle's saying, that's, you know, 200, 300 extra more yards and, you know, a couple more touchdowns. So I don't know if I would full on say like breakout season, if that, if that's the case, because like, to me, for him to have a true like breakout season, I feel like that would take, you know, an injury to Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, like an extensive one where then Guyton is more involved. Like we saw kind of in the back half of 2020 where he's getting, you know, six, seven targets as opposed to three or four per game. So I think he'll be better this year. I don't know if I would qualify it as a breakout season. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as a breakout season, I think it's possible. Like Steven said, the margin between what is a good guidance season and what is a breakout season is so slim. It could be three or four 50 yard passes from Justin Herbert. Right. So if that is kind of what we're quantifying it as, then yeah, I mean, it's, it's very possible that Jalen Guyton could be a 500, 600 yard receiver in theory. Sure. Um, I yeah, for me, there's just a lot of ball distribution to kind of go around on this offense. When we talk about Eckler, now Spiller is also going to be kind of catching balls out of the backfield. Uh, obviously, you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. We still are kind of wondering, you know, what Josh Palmer's you know full role in this offense is going to be in year two, plus Gerald Everett, plus Donald Parham. I, you know, I think it's very possible, but for me, there's just like a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed kind of on this offense. And so I think Guyton sort of falls into that category of like, maybe 
Um, but yeah, I think he could have a breakout season, but he's definitely not getting a third contract with this team. Um, I mean, like Kyle said, it just makes too much sense to kind of let him walk. Obviously, if he doesn't have the breakout season, then you could kind of talk about like a way to bring him back. But I think speed is very much uh, valued now, you know, sure. even for someone who has a limited route tree like Guyton, if he can run a four three, then, you know, let's sign him and worry about the rest later. Right. So um, I think that's going to be valued. So I think he's probably, you know, going to walk regardless of which season he has. Yeah, I, I do agree that he doesn't get a, a new contract with the Chargers, unfortunately. I'm sure Arjun is already doing mental numbers and calculations in his head or on paper or whatever. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, shout out my mom for sending in the Super Chat. Look at this GAC team. Uh, yeah, five out of six of us. Not bad. I promise there's a girl in here. We just uh, didn't get her on today. Uh, we're not. <laughs> uh, anyway, as far as Guyton, on the one hand, sure, the last five games of the year, I think he had like 250 yards and all three of his touchdowns thanks to the Gak bump. And so if he wants to come on an interview again, he can totally have another yeah. breakout season, uh, mostly because of us. But <laughs> at the same time, they did like some of their... Okay, so if the offensive line is fixed, there's more downfield shots. So maybe Guyton has more opportunities. That's great. On the other hand, they did get DeAndre Carter. They did sign Gerald Everett. Those two guys can attack downfield. And I think that's also going to take away. So I guess what I'm saying is I feel like he could have this almost the same season, just slightly better. Like you said, I don't think there's really a breakout season on the horizon, but I could see him getting his, you know, 500 yards, four or five touchdowns sort of deal. Um, but we'll see what kind of offense this becomes because they obviously didn't go get speed. They got more, you know, even though these guys could work downfield, Gerald Everett's more possession, you know, yak sort of guy, Isaiah Spiller running the ball more. So they might even just throw it less. So I could see him having more stats. I think he'll have more stats this year, but I don't think it'll ever be a breakout season. Yeah, and I think it's just also kind of a low floor, high ceiling situation, right? Like, because you kind of know where Keenan Allen, if he plays all 17 games, is going to finish in that 900 to 1100 yard range, right? You kind of know the same is true for Mike Williams a little bit. He's going to finish somewhere between 800 and 1000 yards like he usually does. Guyton, like I said, depending on how many deep passes they get, depending on the state of the offensive line, could wind up anywhere between like 300 yards or he could wind up somehow at like 550 600 right so i yeah. think that's kind of what you're trying to calculate for um and that just depends on so many other factors yeah absolutely we'll, we'll do a, a full you know stat breakdown and a prediction episode once we get a little bit more intel about how the offense and roles are going to be distributed so i uh, wanted to get to sean's super chat question he says looking at the schedule it looks like the first half is the easier portion how important is it for us to win these favorited matchups this season? So, Arjun, I know you kind of talked about this on Twitter um, about how important the you know Mahomes game would be and potentially beating the Chiefs and things like that. Uh, what do you make of the opening schedule for the Chargers? Yeah, so what I said was we we have seven games before the bye. The worst we should be is four four and three. So, like, you have to take care of business at, against Seahawks, Jags, and Texans. Um, and, you know, I, I talked about it on Twitter. Like, Mahomes in September, Mahomes and Andy Reid in general are just, like, Thanos in, in September. Like, they're statistically, like, one of the best, like, offenses ever in the first month because they've put in all of this new uh, – all, all of their new plays and concepts during – offseason and they're just unleashing hell on the NFL in the first four weeks. So playing them week two obviously isn't a isn't a great break. I, I've talked about it last se- last season, like 
I don't think the Chargers did that great against the Chiefs defensively. They just got lucky with two forced fumbles and, um, you know, a, a tipped pick and one random Mahomes pick where he just threw it up in the air to end the game. So, you know, the Chiefs were moving the ball pretty much at will against the Chargers in week three last yeah. year. So, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough in in week two, especially on Thursday Night Football. Quick turnaround from what's probably going to be a, a very tough divisional game in week one. Traditionally, the Raiders have started really, really well under John Gruden with Derek Carr, right? Like they're always starting four and two, five and two. Then they taper off, even though this season they pulled it together. Week one, they always seem to have this like weird win, like where like they're not favored. Like last year, there's the Ravens where they weren't favored and Ravens still, you know, they, they, they beat the Ravens. So week one is not a gimme either, but, you know, new system new defensive and offensive system i'll take my chances against the raiders so i think you know out of the four tough games i mean i think they can win two of them which five and two at the bye week would be great but i think four and three is the worst they can be and again they have to take care of business versus the jags the texans and the seahawks yeah you you cannot lose to any of those bad teams in the early part of the schedule because you know we talked about those last nine games just how difficult they are um, it is really going to be interesting to see because the Raiders and the Chiefs both have a ton of turno- turnover and specifically the Chiefs on offense, right? You have these three new receivers that are potentially going to be, you know, leading their offense. I know they still have Michael Hardman and obviously Travis Kelsey, but, you know, they're taking the replace Tyree kill with three different players kind of approach. And it's just going to be interesting to see how they uh, integrate all of those pieces. So Kyle, what do you, what do you make of, let me remove uh, Sean's question here so we can see your face. Uh, Kyle, what do you make <laughs> of the early portion of the, the Chargers schedule here? I like playing the Raiders in week one because you never know if Josh McDaniels is just going to fly back to New England and call it quits again. <laughs> like you did the so that's that's kind of fun and exciting. You know, I guess they, they're still trying to figure out who's going to call plays for the Patriots on offense. So oh who knows? Gosh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently they have their... Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. Patricia and um, Joe Judge apparently are like taking turns calling plays. I don't know, but I, I, I like it. I like a little bit of adversity late, personally. Um, even though I, it's really like kind of the middle of our schedule that gets the hairiest. It seems like it depends on how the Broncos come out and do. I mean, no matter what, we have a tough schedule because of our division, and I love that this division might have a division winner that comes out with you know 10 or 11 wins because there might be so many wins or you know games go uh, lost and won going back and forth uh we might see everybody in the division just you know go three and three or four and two against each other so that makes it really interesting to me uh i think iron's going to sharpen iron and i think we might have two or three really good divisional opponents entering into the playoffs a lot more hardened than a lot of other teams are so i think you know attrition and not getting injured is going to be huge for us but overall it's i'm just pumped on the schedule because of the video we got with it so that's kind of how i feel <laughs> right um yeah no i mean i think it's very important like arjun said to be at minimum four and three uh you would hope to kind of be six and one assuming that means you go two and one in the division and then win the gimme games um but you know i think that if you're four and three that's not bad if you're five and two that's kind of better um 
I mean, the elephant in the room is what happens with that Cleveland game because the Browns don't really know what's going on with that. As the Chargers social media team pointed out, our, our lawyers advised us not to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's that. But, yeah, I, I do kind of, like, think that there's this element to the schedule release where it's like, we don't know what these teams are going to be three months from now or four months from now at the yeah. same time. You know, I remember we did the schedule release show last year. And we were like, oh, after the Chargers buy – you know, they play uh, the no Brady Patriots. They play the Eagles. They stink. They play the Steelers. They play the Vikings. And then they kind of went two and two in that stretch um, in what should have, you know, what people thought was a three and one or four and oh stretch too. not saying that's going to really happen with the Texans or the Jags. I don't see those teams turning it around this year or making it the year. Uh, but, you know, you kind of never know what's going to happen with some of these games. And so, you know, basing win percentage or strength of schedule off of what happened last year can always be a little bit dicey. But I definitely think it's important to get those wins in the first half, like Arjun said. And then uh, to me, the most brutal part of their schedule is that November 13th and December 4th with two games, uh, yeah. three road games, mm-hmm. uh, two games against the Chiefs and the Raiders. Uh, and then, you know, obviously going on the road to uh, in prime time against the Niners and also the Cardinals. Like to me, that's the, easily the hardest part of their schedule. If you can go two and two in that stretch uh, or better three and one, if you can at least kind of stabilize the ship there. That's like, you know, I think that can kind of run you through to the end of the season at least. But yeah. Yeah, that four game stretch is the one I was most concerned about. But yeah, that Browns game to me is super important. If we're talking about winning early matchups. You look at the schedule. And you know Buffalo plays them week eleven. Cincinnati, obviously the you know their division rivals, but Cincinnati and Baltimore play them twice after we play them. The Patriots play them in week six. It really just depends on when Watson comes back and if he has a you know six game suspension or maybe it's just after the bye week. You know, there's Miami, there's Buffalo, obviously the Bengals and the Ravens, Pittsburgh. Like those guys are going to be competing for that final bubble spot. I'm not saying the Chargers will be competing for a bubble spot, but. You know, yeah. I've seen this song and dance before, and it's very possible. Yeah. So yeah. that's very important. Like, that's a huge game. Beating them and getting that tiebreaker, beating them without Deshaun Watson, without Baker Mayfield, and then letting other teams try to battle it out with Deshaun Watson on the actual roster. Again, I don't know what his suspension is going to be, but getting them early is huge for us. Yeah, and I also just think talking about, like, certainty in terms of those early matchups as well. Like, this is the part where we kind of, like, know the most about these teams. We have the fewest injuries at this point. Um, you know, Nick points out in the chat, like, yeah, there's no such thing as a gimme game for the Chargers because they lost to Houston last year and they've had, they've had embarrassing losses and games they should have won before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, that's why it's important that you're getting Houston in week four, the Jags in week three, because you don't want to play them when you're, you know, down 10 guys because of injury and then or like last year against Houston, 20 guys on the COVID list. Right. So obviously we don't expect that to happen this year. But to me, uh, getting these matchups in the earlier half is just about reducing uncertainty and, you know, kind of taking and capitalizing on those chances as well. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we talked a lot about last year throughout the season was kind of capitalizing on what was going on with the Chiefs and, and their slow start. And, I, you know, I think we could have a similar conversation again this year because the Chiefs first eight games are absolutely brutal. You know, they get the Buccaneers, the Colts, us, and, and, you know, a bunch of other really good teams. I think Adam Schefter pointed out that they're the first team ever to have, like, six playoff teams from the previous season in their first eight games. So, you know, it's going to be really crucial for this Chargers team to uh, start out hot and continue that momentum, you know, throughout the back half of the schedule, which is, is significantly harder. So uh, we'll get to another question that I liked here from the Snake Sports Talk Show. 
Uh, he asked, with the acquisitions of Bryce Callahan and J.C. Jackson in the secondary, will we expect big jumps from J.T. Wood, Asante Samuel Jr., and Nasir Adderley, and what style of play impacts them more with these vets? So um, we'll, we'll talk about rookie, you know, expectations in, in one of the next few episodes here. So we'll we'll take J.T. Woods out of this conversation. Um, but Tyler, what do you make of how adding J.C. Jackson and Bryce Callahan kind of helps? Asante Samuel Jr. in his second season. I hope it just gives everyone, not that they can't play multiple spots, but I hope just everyone has a defined role. And oh wow, we are. Hello, Alex. Hello. How you doing? That's that's Hello. too much of me. Who's who's hitting the button? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to get the one where we're a little bit more balanced. But oh yeah, I got you. I got you. I got you. There we go. Um, no, I mean it should be. I think big for him. I guess we're assuming he's playing outside. I guess his role is the least defined. I'm talking about defined roles. Um, but listen, I think even if they didn't add anybody, that, J- that Asante Samuel Jr. would have a better season yeah. just regardless because he was pretty talented and he was pretty good, I think, for a rookie when he was on the field. But just the concussion, the concussion's so rough for him. Hopefully this stability and and knowing, you know, again, year two, always a year two sort of thing, is a good enough jump for him. I want to go back and watch more of him. I couldn't say if he improved during the season or not, because it was so in and out of the lineup. And at one point he was benched during the Cleveland game for Devon Campbell, which is crazy to say because Campbell might not even make the roster. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, listen, I think regardless of whether these guys were added or not, I think Samuel Jr. will have a better year. And I think even going into training camp last year, they weren't really sure what they were doing with him because they maybe put him in the slot and they put him on the outside. Like he was behind Brandon Faison for most of training camp. So I think now, Going into it, I assume as you're defined, either outside starter, I think outside starter, or your slot corner, he at least has a defined role. He knows what he's doing, and I think he'll just improve because of that. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Like there will be natural improvement here from Asante Semi Jr. You know, especially if he's able to stay healthy. But you know, he was one of the ones that talked last week about you know just being more familiar with the scheme and the verbiage and being able to kind of just take that mentally. And then the thing with J.C. Jackson, right, you know, they're, they're saying that J.C. is going to shadow the number one receiver of every single game. And that's going to take a lot of pressure off Asante, off of Michael Davis, off of Bryce Callahan, and allow those guys to play free. You know, not going to have to worry about covering Devontae Adams because that's going to be J.C. going to have to worry about, you know, covering, uh, I guess, Cortland Sutton would be the number one. In. So, you know, Judy or somebody else. So, it's going to be a big help for them as long as they stay healthy. And we've been talking about big, big jump for Nasir Adderley for three years now. If he's able to be more this year, I'll be very happy. But I think he's ultimately kind of a solid player regardless. So we'll get to a couple more questions here at a pace. I uh, wanted to point this one out specifically. Arjun, of course. Did I read that Bryce contract correctly? He pretty much can be waived injured without a huge chunk of his contract and he guaranteed to get I don't know if he's guaranteed to get hurt, especially not being a starter. <laughs> but yeah. Aaron Wilson did point out that he had injury uh Stephen, we're losing you a bit here on the yeah, I agree, Stephen. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Arjun Arjun just go ahead and talk about the contract if you want and then uh, Stephen, uh Okay, well I have to pull it up. I I did not read um about any it's uh, uh like it's a one hundred fifty-two thousand guaranteed, right? Something like that. Yeah, so I mean it 
So it is like a minimum or vet minimum contract. Uh, so. And it's one of the, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's actually, and the cap hits actually lower than what he's getting paid as one of those veteran incentives, which was cool, right? He's getting paid like 1.2 yeah. to the cap. He only, he's only, it's only like 1.035 or something like that. Just throwing numbers out, but it's kind of cool. He got a little savings there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure how, how that works. I think I, I'd have to read over like the details. But if it is like an injury settlement, then yeah, I mean they could cut him, but he would still get paid, and I don't think the Chargers would lose too much against the cap. Um, the, I wanted to I wanted to bring up a point about the other question. If Asante gets hurt and we roll out a cornerback lineup of Michael Davis, J.C. Jackson, and Callahan, do you know Do you know what they all have in common? Wait, hold on. This sounds fun. So, what was the question? Michael Davis, Asante, Jackson. Uh, yeah, Michael Davis, uh, JC, and Callahan. If that's the starting cornerback group, what do they all have in common? Is this an on-field thing? No. <laughs> oh, they're uh, all drafted. Yeah. So oh, okay. It would it would kind of oh. just go with what Tom Telesco's done, which is like punt cornerbacks and just bring in undrafted guys with long arms and then that are fast and let Ron <laughs> Miles develop them. Um, but yeah, that, I, I think that would be pretty interesting. I'm not sure if that's ever been done. Three undrafted players starting. Um, obviously we want the best players health on the field. So I obviously wishing Asante good health and obviously had a lot of scary uh, health problems last year. So, you know, not, I'm not wishing on injury on anyone. And to this guy's question, like not, no injuries guaranteed. Injuries are very random for most of the time, even if for a guy like Callahan. So, you know, Callahan should be an upgrade over Davis, in my opinion. And we get the best cornerbacks out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that Bryce Callahan kind of went for the price point that he did, right? Uh, like we've kind of brought up with injuries, but it's it's a new season and who knows what's going to happen, right? So, I mean, for the Chargers to get him at the value that they get him at, um, you know, we, we were kind of talking about the concept of like a Jalen Guyton breakout season. If Bryce Callahan were to kind of have like a breakout season where he stays healthy and then leaves to another team for some kind of comp pick, like that's probably what the Chargers are sort of like going for. Um, but it's very low risk, high reward in general, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, hopefully my internet's good now again. I don't know what's going yeah. on today. Yeah, you sound fine. I haven't had uh, any issues until this morning, so that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think you're, I mean, you're signing Bryce Callahan to be that fourth corner and, and potentially, you know, challenge Michael Davis for that third corner spot. And then, so that's kind of the big difference, right? Like, obviously, the Broncos wish that he would have stayed healthy. You know, they signed him to a big contract to be their second or third corner. So it's just kind of about managing expectations there. But I, I think Bryce Callahan has your fourth corner, even if he gets hurt and misses five, six games, like, I think you're, you're okay there. You're not signing him to be a starter. Whereas with Chris Harris, you're signing him to be your second corner, and then if he gets hurt, you're just kind of screwed. So, you know, that that's kind of the difference here. So um, I wanted to get to Todd's question. I think this is a really interesting one because he says that, you know, Brandon Staley hasn't really mentioned Joey Bosa with reverence of the other elite players on the team. Van Haglin, I assume that's Kyle Van Oy, maybe gets Joey's hand in the dirt more this year. So this is an interesting question, Tyler. I don't know if you wanted to we'll take a stab at this one first, but what do you think about Todd's uh, question here? And regarding just not mentioning him, because a couple people have pointed this out too, I don't 
I'm fairly confident Brandon Staley thinks Joey Bosa is an elite player. I don't worry about that. I just think he talks about the additions of a JC Jackson and he talks about weaponizing Derwin James and adding the Khalil Mack. Um, he might think Khalil Mack is better than Joey Bosa, and that wouldn't surprise me, but I, 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 don't, I don't think he doesn't think Joey Bosa is not elite. Uh, but in terms of getting his hand in the dirt more, sure. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think you can actually reduce him inside and let Van Noy rush on the outside. I think that's completely the plan. Uh, they tried to do that last year. They tried to lean into it more the second half of the year, but they just really couldn't find the right guy. I mean, you reduced Bosa inside, and it was, you know, Kyler Fackrell who barely played in the second half of the year, or Chris Rump who had four pressures, or Emmett Gay, or um, Kenneth Murray, obviously. Like, they tried to make that work, and they just couldn't. Now they have a guy who can actually rush from the outside uh, and let Joey Bosa work inside. So, yeah, I think that'll absolutely happen. Yeah, I just think it's a situation where, I mean, Brandon Staley also kind of like doesn't have to say it. Like there's never, while Brandon Staley's been here, obviously uh, Joey Bosa was paid the year before. Uh, so like there's nothing to kind of say. They they pay him almost $30 million per year at edge. Like they, I think they value Joey Bosa. Um, so, yeah. you know, for uh, there's no upcoming contract situation to talk about with him. There's no, oh, we just drafted this guy. We just signed this guy. Like, I think he's just kind of an assumed quantity at this point. Um, so I think that's no one's really asking him a lot about Joey Bosa um, in the same yeah. way that, for example, this offseason, they ask about Khalil Mack right in the media and his in his addition to the team. Yeah, as we all know, he loves Khalil Mack. So um, he did that interview with Chris Harry on CBS, and I thought it was interesting the way he kind of framed the two players of Mack and Bosa. And so I think he thinks that Khalil Mack is better than Joey Bosa. And I think that's. You know, he has a stronger relationship there maybe in, uh, as his former position coach. So if he thinks that, then I think that's fair. But there's there's no way that he doesn't think that Joey is an elite player. Um, as for the second part of this question, like I think the possibilities with Kyle Van Noy are just significantly greater than what they had with Kyler Fackrell and Chris Rumpf and those guys. So if they want to put Joey over guards more often, we saw him you know, kind of feast in that regard. And if that's the case, I think that's fine. But Joey can play anywhere and do anything. I, I feel like he gained more confidence in the two-point stance down the stretch. I feel like he talked about that several times, and and uh, I'm excited to see what this year has for him. So interesting question next that I wanted to get to from Jarrett Tracy. How do you think the draft would have shaped out had they not re-signed Mike Williams? Would you be confident going into the season with KA13, Palmer, Guyton, and a rookie? So, Kyle, we'll get your thoughts here first. Uh, in a world, in the alternate reality where Mike Williams is not a charger, how do you think that affects the draft? I think maybe Alex and I would have had our uh, wishes come true when we were sitting there waiting for a Calvin Austin or yeah. pick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would have had to have been a first round pick. I think we made the right call there, unless, you know, trade down action. But um, <laughs> they, they uh, over, overall, I, I don't think we would have gone in too early but you know we really thought that calvin austin might have been a possibility or Bo melton and i just think they would have pulled the trigger at some point um yeah i just want to say that the entire league is going to regret letting Bo melton fall to the sixth round i had to get that out there um but no i I think that um i kind of think that they might have taken a first round receiver had they let mike williams walk um I'm not certain how that would have played out, but I mean, just how they value that position in general. And they've showed you that with the contracts they've given Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, how much they value that position. Um, so I, I tend to think that they might've gone with 
basically whoever was kind of on the board there at that point. Who were all the wide receivers? I mean, it was Christian what? Watson, Christian Watson, Traylon Burke. So that might have been a situation where they yeah. traded down um, and maybe taken a receiver um, or just waited because they didn't have a round two pick to wait for a receiver. So I think that would have been a trade down scenario had they kind of let Mike Williams walk. Um, or wait, did they? No, Khalil Mack happened before Mike Williams was resigned, right? I would, uh, yeah, uh, yes. 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 Okay. Like, the, so, like two yeah. days before, yeah. Right. So technically, yeah, no, that but they still wouldn't have had that second round pick to play around with. So it's not like the Cleo Mac trade wouldn't have happened. Um I would have been comfortable with it because ultimately you have Justin Herbert. Uh if you don't ha- even have a first round receiver or maybe even a second round receiver, like it would have worked, but I think the way that everything played out, still having Mike Williams. Um, and still getting to develop Palmer and Guyton into into what they can be. Like, I think that's ultimately what they wanted. Yeah, I think if they had opted to not re-sign Mike Williams or if he had opted to take, you know, reportedly a huge number from Jacksonville, uh, maybe he was kind of their initial target instead of Christian Kirk. We don't know. Um, but I, I think in that world, you're probably adding a veteran as well. It's some kind of mid-tier veteran to kind of stabilize the group a little bit. So I, I don't think necessarily that... No. You know, you'd roll into the season with with Allen, Palmer, Guyton, and let's say Bo Melton in the third round as right. like your four main receivers. I think you would have a, a veteran presence in there as well. But they definitely uh, would have taken a receiver and then draft at some point. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they might have done what the Titans did by trading A.J. Brown and then uh, going to get Traylon Burks, if they kind of would have done something similar like that by letting Mike Williams walk and replacing him with like a Traylon Burks type player. Um, I think that could have happened, but um, yeah, <laughs> you know, what ifs or what Alex, ifs. Alex, you're going to be even more pissed off, dude. He, he was drafted in the seventh, not the sixth. Bogey. It was the seventh? I thought it was the yeah. sixth. Oh, it God. The yeah. It was the Seahawks? Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Two, 229. Like, <laughs> that's, that's so bad. <laughs> The receiver, the receiver group was interesting, though, because after Dotson and Burks went and then Watson went and Pickens, I feel like after, I guess, Sky Moore, too. But I feel like there weren't many receivers taken in, like, the third or fourth round. No. Mm-hmm. Not so, that I remember. But yeah. Um, all right, we'll get to the next Super Chat question from Frank again. Appreciate Frank always supporting the show. Uh, do you think Bosa and Mac will primarily be used on one side or moved around often? I know they have both primary played from the same side. Um, Tyler, what do you think here? Good question, Frank. Uh, so looking at the past season, obviously Joey Bosa does play more as your left outside linebacker, left edge sort of guy. Uh, and Khalil Mack the same last year. But if I go back to his season in 2018 where he was with Brandon Staley, from the left side he played about 340 snaps. And from the right side he played about 400 snaps. So it's actually was pretty even if you look at his one season with Brandon Staley. Now, does that change? I don't know. Um, point is, he was very balanced with Brandon Staley there. And I think there is, you know, sure, they'll get shifted around. They'll move from side to side, whatever. But we at least see that Khalil Mack with Brandon Staley at one point wasn't just a one-side guy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. No, I think you'll definitely see them be moved around quite a bit. Um, I think they'll take their chances. I, th- I feel like towards the back end of the season, Bosa and Nwosu were kind of moving around a little bit more often. Yeah. And I remember specifically getting annoyed against um, that would have been the Broncos when Garrett Bowles was out when it was like Bosa never got to go against the replacement left tackle. So I don't know. I feel like there's kind of give and take there. But I, I do seem to remember him and Wilson moving around pretty pretty often against uh, like the Chiefs and things like that down the stretch. So I don't know. We'll have to see. All right, next super chat from LA Chargers fan. I've been a big critic of Telesco, and we still don't know what is going to happen with this team. However, I appreciate him for taking a big swing. Any thoughts here, anyone? Yeah, I've been a critic of Telesco. He he did good this time, um, but <laughs> we're probably still going to criticize him on stuff. So, I mean, that's that's how the job works. It's a result-based business. Yeah. The big swing wasn't really a big swing. He's he He's doing what he needs to do with – uh, an elite quarterback on a right. rookie deal. That's so true I think he's doing his job. I mean, it remains to be seen how the draft picks are going to work out and whether the free agent signings are going to, you know, play up to their expectation and, and give us value on their contract. But yeah, I thought he, he's done a good job of, of filling out depth, especially after the draft. And I think that roster's in probably the best state it's been in since like 2018. Yeah, and I think. I, and tell, oh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. Oh no, I was just going to add on to my point. Like, yes, he's building around Justin Herbert right now, and like doing everything he's supposed to do. But I'm like, does that kind of make up for like the last eight, seven years of not building around Philip Rivers when they could have? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, that's also Telesco's performance as well. Um, so, I mean, I am happy that he's taking the big swing now, but um, he kind of didn't before. Yeah, I think Tom Telesco took the biggest year ten jump on the team, which is pretty. <laughs> um, but he Tom Telesco breakout I, season, <laughs> breakout season for Tom. And he broke a couple habits that we're used to, right? He traded for a big player, which was awesome. I, what I think that the way that I've kind of internalized this and why the Kyle Van Noy signing to me was kind of where I let go of what's whatever's going to happen with right tackle is going to happen. I don't think I, I can't remember an off season where we literally made moves across the board that I was just completely satisfied with and felt like the entire mm-hmm. team was taken care of other than one, one position, like just one move that could be made. So if I'm just, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt this, at this point, I think right. this was the best season possible. And the, the, the Kyle Van Noy signing to me, which is which, what, what blew my mind about it was I felt like that was the kind of signing that a couple of years ago we would have made to fill a starting role. You know, at, at 31, yeah. 32 year old linebacker coming into play edge to fill in for a young guy that we let go that we didn't want to pay. And instead, it's a 32 year old stud coming in to play rotational edge leadership guy that's super versatile. Even Bryce Callahan, it's almost like I know it's not, not apples to apples, but before I could have seen Bryce Callahan being somebody we signed akin to a uh, Chris Harris, you know, even though Chris Harris actually signed for more money and didn't have the health concerns, but it's very interesting feeling that way for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. We're in this state of the chargers are getting some guys that are veterans that could, could be starters. I'm sure there might've been offers elsewhere, but they get those two guys after the draft, they're non post draft cuts. 
they just found a way to get these guys, sign them, and for really cheap deals, I just having Callahan be your CB five, you know, four potentially, Ben Noy your edge three. Like you said, this is probably what they have for starters in other seasons. You know, it's oh here goes you know Michael Schofield's definitely going to start this year at right guard. No, like we're going to go get Michael Schofield to be a backup. That's what they did last year, I guess, but or then he ended up starting. But now they're just getting some guys who could legitimately start in pinch spots. Now they, you know, they actually have legit depth for the first time in what well, feels like a long time. I, I feel like I'm always liking the depth of the team when I'm 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 looking at the team before the season starts. But this year, I don't know. Like the more they do, and the more I see under this daily regime, the more I realize what was lacking in years prior. And so seeing this now, it's like okay, this is actually really depth. Like Kyle Van Noy is really depth. Chris Rump is really depth here rather than just some guys that just get thrown out there and you know yeah they're deaf but they're just all undrafted free agents there's a there's just such a smaller drop off from the starters to the depth guys now yeah that's that's the biggest change over the last two years for me is like you know we've seen in previous years you know you go get a chris harris but then the backup for chris harris is this guy from the cfl who like nobody knows who he is named Tavon campbell or you know you go sign russell okun and Mike Pouncey and their backups are these late round draft picks, undrafted free agents and Trey Pipkins or Trent Scott, or, or I mean, I like Scott Questenberry, but you know, he's a fifth round draft pick. So I feel like that's kind of the big difference. Like I think the Tom Telesco of old would have said, okay, we have Bosa, we have Mac. We drafted Chris Rumpf last year. He's edge three automatically. No questions mm-hmm. asked. And it looked like that was going to be the case for a little bit there, but you know, and then comes Kyle Van Oy. So I think that's really the biggest difference for me is how they have kind of filled in the gaps a little bit. And so, you know, I made my, my gripes with Tom Telesco very clear previously. I wanted him fired with Anthony Lee and I wanted a, a clean sweep, but he and Brandon Staley seem to have a much better working relationship. It's a bigger collaboration and, and I don't know what kind of led to that change or not, but the roster process has been, significantly better over the last two years. And maybe that's just an effect of having a rookie quarterback on a, uh, on that cheap deal. I don't really know, but definitely something has changed with Tom Telesco. So uh, we'll get to Tyler's dad's super chat here. Uh, shout out to the Shoon family, always showing out in the uh, super chats. He wants to know how do the chargers preserve the health of key players? He specifically mentions Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack and Derwin James for the second half stretch of the season. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any particular thoughts here on this question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just do what I the mean, Rams just... do. What's that? What's that, Arjun? I don't know. Staley comes from the Rams. They must. They must have some intel about their sports science staff. But like, I mean, yeah, that was just a broad one. But like, I think just managing their reps in practice. I mean, these guys are professionals. Bosa, Mack, and uh, Derwin are all pro guys. So I don't think you really need to like overwork them in practice. I think Derwin missed games because of the hamstring injury he suffered in practice. Right. So like can't have that anymore so really it is just getting players um to the field as healthy as they can be 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it, as much as we talk about sports science and all this stuff, like, I think that's part of it. And the Chargers were relatively healthier than they had been in years prior uh, last season. But some of it's just luck and you're kind of banking on Khalil Mack not having the injuries he did last year. You know, Joey Bosa does kind of have like a concussion history a little bit. So you're sort of just banking on the idea that he can stay healthy. Obviously, Derwin James with his uh, knees. So I don't know if there's a way that you can preserve them other than, oh, like if we have like this big lead in the fourth quarter, we pull them. Like <laughs> you can't really do that like you do that in basketball, for example. Um, there's not really a whole lot of ways to, I think, reduce their usage other than, I guess, get a little smarter about it at points. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's really a way to preserve their health. Um, it's just kind of luck of the draw at some points. I think it'll be interesting too, to see if we have more shootouts with how strong our division is like we did last year, or if this new shift in philosophy on defense is going in prioritization of it is going to result in less plays being run because we, right are actually, you know, containing and slowing down the pace of the game and stuff like that. Because we do that, maybe, you know, we're cutting, we're not having an 80, what was it, 80 play Raider game? That was insane. Was that, that was just on, that was on one side of the ball. So, I mean, that's just, that's a lot of snaps for, you know, a defense to take. So that would be one thing we could do is try to slow the game down, give it to our guy Xander Horvath to uh, crunch out those gritty yards and just get up there slowly and surely. Yeah, and I mean, just, uh, also not having Rex Burkhead gash us for 700 yards as, as the season winds down. Like, yeah. that would be that would be a way to, like, preserve people for the second half stretch as well. Well, now they get Damian Pierce, so now it's oh. not even going to be Rex Burkhead. So. Um, no, I think also to that point, right, like, the Chargers offensive lineman had, like, 70 pass blocking reps against the Raiders. So that's <laughs> always something that gets overlooked a little bit when talking about Storm Norton's performance against Max Crosby. It's like, well, I mean, the man was on an island the entire game. So mm-hmm. um, so this is something that I definitely wanted to talk about. And then we'll kind of, I guess we'll do Alex's breakfast burrito rankings or something like that to, <laughs> to wrap up. Um, NSN, am I too late for the obvious dis- discussion of primary importance, namely who the fuck is 6'6 Ben Griffiths? So a uh, bit of a surprise. The Chargers had a punter in for rookie minicamp. Uh, Brent, uh, Daniel Popper seems to think that he'll be in training camp as well. Uh, ben Griffiths out of UC, out of USC, excuse me. I was about to say US, UCLA. Um, and he's a an Aussie punter. So he played, I think, seven years in the Aussie League and then came over as like a 26-year-old college freshman to, to get onto USC's football team. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have I, I don't know. I don't, I haven't watched punter film. I I've seen Ben Griffiths punt obviously as a PAC 12 fan. Um, and the numbers look pretty good. They didn't punt a whole lot this past year, but he was PFF seventh graded punter in the rookie class of 2022 and had the second best hang time of any of the punters behind only Jordan stout. So uh, again, there's not a ton of like number stats. He didn't get a, a ton of punts inside the 20, but his hang time is good. PFF grade is good. Again, I, I don't watch any punter films, so I don't I don't know if I can say about that. But you know, Tom Telesco said that they would have some competition for JK Scott, and it looks like uh Ben Griffiths is that guy. Sure. I mean Bernard Raymond looked at him and said, Jesus, you're old, dude. Uh, <laughs> this guy is super, super old. Uh not not old, but I mean, he's, he's a punter, though. You're not you're not asking him to be a, a franchise cornerstone at left tackle. 
can he? Can he play right tackle out of curiosity? <laughs> I mean, he's 6'6", six, 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 right? so bulk I mean, him up with his arm bit, like, like, Let him gain 60 pounds. I know. <laughs> um, sure. If he kicks it further, uh, more accurately, great. I, I don't know anything about him, unfortunately. This guy's 30? He looks like 45. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so know. we actually there's actually a charger podcast out in australia guys uh thunder oh, yeah. and uh -huh. they i was chatting with them about uh this guy and alistair is one of the one of the hosts and he said that basically the guy can kick it a mile he confirmed that he did struggle a little bit at rugby like wasn't the best player for uh mm. player in the what was it the afl i think it is yeah um, but he said he could kick it a mile. The interesting thing, and Stephen was pointing out that he had had a good hang time. That might be an indication that he might transfer over pretty well because in the AFL they don't really prioritize um, hang time. It's about no, accuracy yeah. and and you know how far you can kick it. So the fact that he already made that transfer, maybe that's a good sign for him, you know, excelling. But it'll be interesting. I'd love to see that guy barreling down after a kick and laying somebody out, Pat McAfee style. Yeah, you know, the the thing with the Aussie punters, you know, because Utah loves the Aussie punters, man. Every single year we always have one. And the thing as it relates to, like, translate to the NFL is that, you know, the rugby punters, they get that that long windup, right? You know, they, they run for a little bit, and then they kind of just mm -hmm. wait for the, the punting team to get down the field, and then they just kind of boot it as far as they can. Um, obviously, you can't do that in the NFL. So um, the fact that he has good hang time, I think, shows a lot. I'd be curious to see how this pans out. Apparently, we have a new punter type, which is really tall. It's because J.K. Scott is also 6'6". So, there's that. How much does he weigh? J.K. Scott is much lighter. I think Scott's only like 190. He's he's oh, very get him, skinny. Get him in the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. We got, a, we got our long snapper interview last night. Talk about a punter today. You know, we talk about special teams on this podcast. Um, I didn't know who Ben Griffiths was before Steven said who yeah. Ben Griffiths was. So. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of takes. All I remember about like old Australian punters is that there was that one crazy looking dude from uh, the U a couple years ago uh, who was like, I, I don't remember how old he was. Like they said he was 24, but he looked no less than like 40. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think his name was like Lou Headley or something. Yeah, the uh, one that he, was like all super tatted up, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and like he just yeah he he looked like a freak, but <laughs> yeah, uh, someone described their punter as uh, your dad's scariest coworker. So um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I think old Australian punters look. I mean, they add character to the team. Yeah. No, most of most of the Utah punters they had were kind of young guys, but they got an older one like in 2019 and he kind of sucked so they went back to the young guns i guess um i still expect jk scott to win that position battle but you know at least he has like actual competition now because I, I know some people were kind of concerned about that so we'll have to see how that one pans out i guess but we got two tall punters let's go great can they throw <laughs> can we go for it more and fourth down can we, we can, get the uh, ball to uh, Devon Campbell faster so he doesn't get blown up by Hunter Benfro? <laughs> we can, we can, we can, uh, we could trade, we could trade for Jordan Mailata still, and he can play punter. Uh, he can he, he punt? He played, yeah, he played rugby too. He was in Australia, yeah. so yeah, now he can play punter. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did you see that he went on that uh, Mass Singer show? No, I don't watch the Mass Singer. Well, I don't watch it either, but he went. <laughs> I saw it on Twitter, man. Dude's got some pipes. He's got some some a good, you know, good voice down there. 
Mylotta? Yeah. Oh, sounds good, I guess. No, it's really so. Brooke watches that show, and oh. you know the the judges have to guess who the people are. And Jordan Mylotta is a six eight, four hundred pound Australian man. Like he's massive. And uh, one of the judges guessed that he was Chris Weber, and I'm like, the hell! <laughs> this man's <laughs> thighs are huge, and you're gonna guess guess the skinny basketball player. Anyways, why would Jordan Mylotta go on the Masked Singer though? Like, no one knows who Jordan Mylotta is except like yeah. me. <laughs> no, like, because I know I know about the premise because Brooke watches it. Like yeah, I said, and so I that, she yeah. was like, "This guy on the Eagles went on it." I was like, "Who? Like, uh, like Devonte Smith or Jalen Hurts?" And, <laughs> yeah, and she was like, "No, some lineman." I'm like, "Why would any lineman go on a show where you have to guess who they are?" <laughs> but like Gronk has been on there. I think Antonio Brown was on there. Um, Victor Oladipo actually almost won it the first season, so I guess he's got pipes. Too. You know a lot more about this show than I fucking do. <laughs> well, I told you I don't watch it, but here's it. the stats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got one more super chat, and then we'll head out for the day. And again, thanks to Kyle and Arjun for joining us today. Uh, he wants to know: Is there any draft pick you would redo? And outside of Zion, are there any day one starters? So we'll start with Kyle and Arjun first, since they're the guests today. You go ahead and start, Arjun. I'll come in right after you. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, if you told if you asked me right after the draft, I probably would have redone the JT Woods pick and gone corner or edge. But I mean, if mm-hmm. I had the knowledge that they were going to go after Callahan and Van Noy, I would have kept the JT Woods pick. So. Um, I'm going to just go with the obvious analytics pick. Uh, I wouldn't have done Isaiah Spiller in the fourth. They could have gotten, you know, a, a running back in the sixth. So with the fourth round pick, Calvin Austin, I mean, I don't know if he was still on the board, if he was still on the board there, but I can like a receiver would have made sense in the fourth instead of a running back, but that's kind of just the analytics in me talking. And, um, again, I, I've been pretty vocal about how, I think he's he could just be like a more elusive clone of Larry Roundtree and Joshua Kelly, which is kind of disturbing. But um, I think I think otherwise they did a good job filling out the draft or filling out depth through the draft. Yeah, I Stephen's gonna hate me. Um, sorry, Stephen. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the I, I am so stoked with Zion Johnson, and if we didn't draft down, he was by far the guy I wanted to get. But the only way. And it really boils down to if they kick out Matt Filer to right tackle and we don't have a gaping hole there, I'm stoked. And I, I really can't ask for anything to have changed. But I would have, you know, there is a part of me, if, if we do see Storm or Trey on that right tackle spot, then I will be left wishing we had traded out of the first round and gathered a plethora of day two and some early day three picks and be able to solidify getting getting like an Abraham Lucas having a pick to get Leo Chanel. Like if you look at what we should have, what we could have gotten if we traded down, you know, Leo Chanel was there late. Um, Abraham Lucas went later than we thought. Bernard uh, Raymond fell. Everybody. I mean, it just, I really, so this year it worked out and I'm very happy that they made the Van Noy, like, like Arjun was saying and Callahan signings. Cause that's what you have to do. If you're not trading down, you need to fill that depth somehow with talent. And yeah, if just in future years, I hope that we start trading back because I think it's going to be harder and harder to fill this depth out properly when we have a quarterback that's making 50 or 60 million a year. 
So yeah, you know, everybody was busting D- Dave Gettleman's balls last year when he had never traded down, and it, we're approaching that same kind of level with Tom Telesco in that regard, and in, in terms of the obvious neglect of trading down. So obviously, I think he's a much better GM than Dave Gettleman was, but. Um, in terms of the picks, I, I think I've really come around on on all of them uh, outside of the seventh round picks. I I don't see a way that Dean Leonard makes this roster, so I would have changed that out, take a shot on some edge player or a receiver late, like Bo Melton or somebody like that. So Leonard is really like, okay, what's his role? He's probably a practice squad guy. So that that's the one for me that I, I would redo and swap out for almost literally any other position. Um, do you have to ask me which one I would redo? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do kind of see the, when we're talking about like the sixth and seventh round guys, like who you would kind of change out of that group. Um, I, to me, I don't think there's like enough there where I go, oh man, I, I wish we didn't draft Dean Leonard over this person. Like, I mean, yeah, you could say like sure. Bo Melton for sure, but like, the fourth round is like the Isaiah Spiller pick for me. Just what else they could have gone there. I think we've talked about it through the lens of, oh, well, they could have taken this running back in the fifth. They could have taken this running back in the sixth. But just the value that was on the board. Um, I, I know I wasn't recording the show with um, uh, with Kyle, you know, while that pick happened. But I was just kind of thinking, it's like, oh, well, you know, like, you know, just kind of running down the list of names. Calvin Austin's still on the board. Uh, you know, you obviously talk about someone like joshua williams who steven interviewed romeo dubs uh you know kind of even Pierre strong if they wanted to go that way so for me just in terms of value at other positions as well fourth fifth round um zach tom steven's guy was kind of on the board although they kind of make it up with sailor there i I probably would have redone the isaiah spiller pick but if they had taken Pierre strong over isaiah pillar over isaiah spiller i'd be pissed (laughs) okay that one was pretty bad but uh (laughs) No, I mean, I, I just think, yeah, for, for me, wide receiver, corner, if they wanted to go another direction there and then take a running back later, that's probably what I would have done. Yeah, unfortunately for me, it is the Dean Leonard pick. I'm just having a hard time seeing him making the roster at this point. And so in that regard, I guess you can say the same for, for any other outside corner or any other edge rusher, but probably would have preferred a Kalon Barnes. Um, yeah. Even even Rashid Walker at that point in the seventh round was available. Yeah. Um, and the bike listen, thief. I don't, yeah, I don't know why he fell, but him in the seventh round is completely fine with me. Who, who did he end up um, going Jesse to? Luke, the Packers. He went the Packers. Oh. Who's going to be? Oh, a, he's, yeah, he's going to be an all pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Him and Zach Tom, man. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Jesse Luketa is the one I probably would have swapped out for. Yeah, uh, Dean Leonard. Obviously, they addressed Edge later, but I would have liked someone like Luketa, who they did meet with, who can play the run who was like a two-time captain for Penn State. Like, I I think that's someone I would have invested a seventh-round pick in over Dean Leonard. Yeah, original one points out, you know, Kellen Deesh was uh, also on the board. I mean, he, he was an undrafted player, but I would rather have him than Dean Leonard or Xander Horvath, I think. At least Horvath, I think, is going to make the roster, but I, I just have a hard time seeing Dean Leonard making this roster. Um, uh, Ky- Envy Talent says uh, that uh, Kyle looks like John Krasinski. Uh, so he got Jake Gyllenhaal last time uh, when I was on the show with him. Uh, and then when I asked who I looked like, people said that I looked like a douchebag, <laughs> which was fair uh, in the chat. But so you now Kyle has gotten uh, John Krasinski and Jake Gyllenhaal comps. So to point maybe he means John Krasinski is Arjun. <laughs> I-, I don't think that's what he means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. 
Man, Kyle out here getting comps to like two of the you know best looking dudes in Hollywood, and I got Kyle in Hawaii, so you know it's all good. Yeah, he's rich. Hey. I got the thumbs from Spy Kids. <laughs> so I got literally called a douchebag on stream when I asked who I looked like. So. Didn't somebody say scum, dude, or like something? <laughs> yeah, someone like, also said scum. scum. So it's just not nice, man. Yeah. Not nice stuff. Brutal. Uh. If he says Michael Sarah for Alex, yeah, I, I think that's fair. That's I'd rather one. be called a douchebag at that point if you just <laughs> stereotype me into that. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, this has been fun. We've been here for an hour and 12 minutes, so appreciate all you guys tuning in. Appreciate Kyle and Arjun for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow for our regularly scheduled Sunday episode. Uh, that's going to do it. We'll see you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.